Good morning. My name is Darren. How's everybody doing? Five. How are we doing? Okay. Okay. It's going to be a tough one this morning. My name is Darren again. Uh, I'm one of the pastors, and we're in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God. We're looking verse by verse through the book of Mark. So we're in the middle. Actually, we're a little bit past the middle. We're in chapter 10. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have a few Bibles left. People keep taking them. That's okay. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this Bible. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have it. Um, but we're jumping to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. So go to Mark 10, 17. I just want to tell you, I was, um, Bill taught last week, talked about divorce and um, talked about living in the center versus living on the outside um, and looking for the boundaries, learning to live in the kingdom of God, where not where you're worried about divorce and adultery, but living where, what does it mean to be a husband and wife the way God intended it? And uh, it was a powerful message, and I, I got a lot of feedback from people realizing um, how significant the discussion of healthy relationships was and is. And so um, I've been preparing this summer with Bill a a series of teaching through our values as a church, what we value as a community. Um, But we're going to scrap that. I think we're going to teach it in our community groups. But we're going to do a a mini-series starting in October, uh, mid-October, where we're going to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and some of the Ephesians and look about uh, look into how God intended us to live with each other in the first place. What are some healthy tools that we all need as disciples to live with each other? Um, and so Bill's going to be working with me on that, so we're going to do that. So I just want to let you know we're changing some plans. I know it's not much for you, but that's exciting. I'm really excited to teach on, on healthy relationships, on, on sex, on God, on life, the way God intended to be in the first place. So that you can expect that mid-October, okay? All right, we're good? All right, I'm kind of stalling because this, this is one of those messages for me. Um, it just feels, uh, man, it just feels heavy. And so I love your, your prayers, and let's pray together. Um, right now, I just want to pray one more time that God would just open up this time for all of us this morning. So let me pray. Lord, I just invite your spirit um, to settle into us. Make us aware, awaken us to you in our lives. Allow us to hear your voice, to know you in us. I pray for my brothers and sisters carrying just weight of uh, brokenness. Um, those, Those of us carrying just heaviness of stuff we have to do. Those of us excited, um those of us anxious, dealing with things that are right in the front of our mind. Lord, would you just push those to the side and allow us to be fully aware of what you're up to. Pray that for those of us planning a future and jobs, that could just be put on pause and that we'd be entered into your presence and we'd be aware of your presence in us. So would you make us, Lord, um, good soil that this, would, this message, this word would produce a hundredfold um, in all of us. And that I pray that you speak to each and every one of us and bless us today in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. A man comes up to Jesus, falls to his knees, gives him a flattery statement, flattery comment. Good teacher, expecting to have something back. That's what you'd do if you wanted to impress someone in the first century. And he, he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The phrase is alam habat. Alam habat. In the first century, if you wanted to know where a rabbi stood in all of his teachings, or if you wanted to know his particular slant or way of life or way of interpreting the Torah, you would alam habat. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question that you would ask all sorts of people that are teachers in the first century to find out their particular view. And you would get a variety of answers. You, if someone would say, give to the poor, maybe somebody would say, pray more. If you were a Pharisee and someone asked you this, you would say, well, follow the 613 laws of Moses and follow the 1,500 plus laws that we've added on called the Mishnah and, um, and, and separate yourself from anything that is uh, unholy and unclean, follow those laws strictly, and you will inherit eternal life. That's, that's a Pharisee's response. Uh, if you were a zealot, you'd say, collect stockpile of weapons, and when, when the Messiah comes, we're going to go and charge Rome, and we're going to be victorious. So sharpen those blades and get ready. That's what a zealot would say. Well, maybe not. I made that up. But that's what they did, anyways. Um, but this guy comes to Jesus, who's a teacher and a rabbi in the first century, and Alam Habat, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's your perspective on this whole thing? And he's not asking, um, how do I go to heaven? He's not asking, how do I get to this place called heaven? That's not what, what this guy's asking in the first century. And to the Jewish worldview, um, there, was, there was kind of a, a paradigm, a, a worldview that they lived in. They believed that they lived in a certain particular time, and it's called, cleverly named, this present age. Okay, And then they were expecting, because it was prophesied in the Old Testament, that God would come on the day of the Lord, and he would usher in a whole new age. Okay, And this, when the day of the Lord came, it would be marked by healing, by shalom, by peace, by justice, by the resurrection of the dead. And when this came, the day of the Lord... It, was, uh, it ushered in a whole new time. And that time was cleverly na- named the age to come. So you have this present age and the age to come. And this man is asking Jesus, what must I do to be certain that when the day of the Lord comes, I'm one of the righteous ones that resurrects and enjoys life on earth, earth with God? That's the question. You with me on that? So just... Just to, this is just for fun. Just so you know, we're not going anywhere. Heaven's coming to earth. If you read Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, all the action takes place on earth. God brings heaven to earth, restores the new earth and new heaven, and we live in harmony once and for all with God on earth with physical bodies. We're not casters floating around. Okay. 
Glad we got that done. You can talk to me later about that if you want to know. That's just the biblical interpretation. Um, so this guy, this guy's asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and uh, uh, rather than giving him a formula, Jesus begins to list the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Now, of course he knows the commandments. This is absolutely ridiculous. Every single person... Every single Jewish boy and girl memorized the Ten Commandments. This is like basic square one stuff. This is, like when, this is like what happens when the Karate Kid asks Mr. Miyagi, teach me to fight, and Mr. Miyagi makes him wax on, wax off his car. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, what are you doing? Okay, do you know this illustration? Like, he's learning how to do this thing. Okay. Um, put, don't use Mr. Miyagi as an illustration. Um... <laughs> okay, so basics, the commandments. Of course he knows, and he lists them. But he's, he doesn't start with the first few, does he? The first five, first four have to do with our relationship to God. Don't, don't worship other gods, don't make idols, stuff like that. The, the next half of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationships to each other. And look at what he lists. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. He adds... You shall not defraud. That's not one of the Ten Commandments, but he adds it in there. It's in Leviticus. And he says, honor your father and mother. What is he missing? Don't covet. Did somebody say covet? One of us knows the Ten Commandments. He says he's missing. Do not covet. He leaves it out. This guy's asking, how do, I inter- how do I inherit the eternal life? And what you'd expect is a universal formula. This is what my teaching looks like. But instead, he goes after this guy's heart. And his response is, well, well I've kept all of these since I was a boy, says the liar. And Jesus looked at him, looks at him for the first time. Notice, he's, he's, this guy's on his knees talking to Jesus. And now Jesus finally looks at him. Gives him the time of day and loved him. It's the first time it's ever used and the last time that Jesus loved in the book of Mark. One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This guy, Jesus leaves out, don't covet. What's coveting all about? Coveting is a lack of contentment. Coveting is when you want more and more and more and more. And you begin to be enslaved by your desires. It's when you want what you don't have, but it becomes more than that. It's when the stuff that you have or you don't have ends up owning you. It's when your stuff owns you. Jesus leaves it out because he goes in for the kill. And the language in Mark is go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, You'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. It's the same formula in the book of Mark for Jesus healing people. We don't catch this when we read it. But he'll say, pick up your, get up, pick up your mat and walk. It's the same formula. Jesus is offering this man healing. He's been enslaved to his stuff. He's been enslaved to the desires of what he doesn't have. And Jesus doesn't give him a formula of what he, everyone has to follow. He comes after this guy's issue and says, you, for, for you to come and have eternal life, you need to come this step forward. And for you, it's selling your stuff and then following me. 
And treasures in heaven, I love this, because we all think, I'm going to get that mansion next to the golf course or the perfect wave break in the heavenly places as we float around with wings and halos and all of that good stuff. But that's not what it's about. You see, the kingdom of God is extended to us on earth here and now, right? Jesus is saying with treasures, he's talking about the things that we value. He's saying invest in the things that will last for eternity. Value, treasure the things that will last for all time. Okay, this is what he's saying to this guy. Sell that stuff that's not going to be there in the end when the age to come happens. But value the things that will last for eternity. One way you could say it is, so here's this, what Jesus is saying. We live in this present age. He says, live in the present age in a way that when the age to come happens, we just continue on living as we were. Did you catch that? Live here and now in a way that when the age to come, when God comes, when Jesus comes back once and, once and for all and, and everything's restored and renewed and everything's beautiful and, and our tears are gone, all of that stuff, you just continue on living as you were on earth. But the new earth and the new heaven, that's what it means to treasure, have treasures in heaven. You have resources. You have access to life, to an investment that's not going anywhere. Invest in those things. And then, then, come follow me. Come follow me. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Notice Jesus lets him walk away. It's a tough message, right? He doesn't try to water it down. He doesn't say it's easy. He doesn't say your life's going to be figured out and much easier because you'll sell it. No, he says he lets him walk away. Because he had great wealth. The word for wealth is much property, many possessions. Or you could say the word wealth is lots of stuff. The man walked away sad because he had lots of stuff. He was wealthy. He was rich. Jesus looked around. This would have been a scene. He says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said it again, which is Mark saying, listen to what I'm saying right now, like flashing lights. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Who? Who could be saved in the first century? Not just in Judaism, but in pagan cultures. They believed that if you were blessed, if you had lots of, it meant that God gave you lots of stuff. That favor from not just our God, but all other gods, if you are a pagan, was that God would give you lots of stuff. And if you didn't worship God right, he wouldn't give you lots of stuff. And so for a first century Jew, this built into, our, into their worldview, they recognized that their, their whole paradigm is being blown up hard. Because Jesus is saying that it's harder for those with lots of stuff to enter the kingdom of God. Blessing doesn't have to do with lots of stuff. It has to do with something else. Jesus says it twice. Listen to this. I mean, let's just take it in. 
harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And he gives this thing about the eye of the needle, camel. It's just a rabbinic way of making the second point harder or greater. So there's in the, the Babylonian Talm- Talmud, which maybe you like this or not, it says uh, because in Mesopotamia the largest animal is an elephant, it says it's harder for an elephant or it's easier for an elephant to enter the eye of the needle than for such and such and such. So it's just this absolute provocative statement that it's harder to be wealthy and rich and to enter into the life that God intended us to live here and now. And the disciples are amazed. Who then on earth is blessed? If it's not the wealthy, then who can be saved? Go to uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. So this guy to the disciples, this rich guy, is obviously blessed in their eyes. But we read in chapter, uh, verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. The disciples, again, previous chapter we just looked at, don't allow children to come to Jesus. In, in verse 37 of chapter 9, it says, whoever welcomes one of the, the, these little children in my name welcomes me. And a couple chapters later, they miss it again. And Jesus, it says that he was indignant. He was filled with this great emotion of anger. It was obvious. You could see it on his face. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone will not receive the kingdom of uh, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Children in the first century were not delightful creatures like they are now. They were messy. They were dirty. <laughs> they still are. They touch defiled things. They make you unclean. They were, uh, if, if, it was, if it was a girl, it was a less value than, than a boy. Certain parts of the world in Ephesus, if the child wasn't perfect, if it wasn't absolutely perfect, they would leave it on top of a mountain and let it die. And, and there'd be, if there was any type of deformity, certain people would go up and grab those children and make them slaves. That's what's going on in Ephesus. This is the same time period. One out of two people would die in childbirth in Ephesus. It's a whole other story. Children were not these delightful little things that we were blessing, that we make Hallmark cards, cards about. These were, if anything, they weren't named at times. They were an it until they came up to the right age. And they were absolutely not blessed by God. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? The kingdom belongs to such as these. He's saying the kingdom of God belongs to the vulnerable. Belongs to the insignificant. The the kingdom of God belongs to those that absolutely have no place in society. They belong to the exploited, the unimpressive, the weak, the last. Those that have no expectations of receiving anything at all. Those without hope. And those that are weak. The kingdom of God belongs to those types of people. That's what Jesus says. And you got to love the disciples because they don't let those people come in. But they let, they let the rich guy fall right at Jesus' feet. Find that a little bit humorous? I think we all do that a bit. But the point is this. Jesus then blesses the children. Those that aren't blessed are seen blessed by God in the flesh, the Messiah. Who then can be saved? And the point is, I mean, I love this, because if you compare the two, the children possess nothing. And they're lacking, oh, I'm sorry. The, the children possess nothing and they don't lack anything. 
And they have the kingdom of God. But this guy has everything and he lacks something. And he doesn't follow Jesus. How are we doing? Doing all right? Okay. Question I have is do we take this seriously? For those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, you've said yes, you've been baptized, you've been coming to our church. Do we believe the words of Jesus Christ himself or have we believed a different type of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Do we really believe it? Do we get it? I mean, because this is where it comes to. It comes to the point where, yeah, it's a nice story. I love that Jesus talks like this. And, but, but do we really believe that the ultimate reality is this kingdom of life, life that Jesus has raised from the dead? He's been resurrected. That our lives have been wrapped around it, not just as an accessory. But we really believe those words. And that everything else should be, should be coming around that ultimate reality. And we enter into eternity following here, here and now. Or are we pursuing the American dream? Because what, what I think is what's, what's amazing is why are we pursuing all of the other stuff if Jesus says, if you have lots of stuff, it's harder to live the life you're intended to live. Why? Well, and then, and then what I get is that I get, I get this. I get, um, you know, if I, I would love to be rich. I would love to be rich. Then I can be generous. If I just had this much more, then I would give this much to the church. I'd, I'd get, you know, invite people over, and, and then I would be generous. But generosity has nothing to do with an amount. It's about a heart. If I could, you know, and, and that's great for those rich people because, you know, I live, oh, I live in a one-bedroom apartment. Our fridge is tiny because can't, we can't fit a full fridge in our apartment. I drive a neon, you know. Every light is on every other week. Sometimes I have to shut the AC off because it's blowing smoke in my face, like when it's hot. I mean, yeah, but when I'm rich, you know, praise God I'm not that. <laughs> Right? Is that anyone else here? Jesus doesn't condemn wealth, but he teaches us what to do with it. I want to give you a perspective this morning and just ask the question, if you really take Jesus seriously, if you really take Jesus seriously, where the heck is your heart? Let's just go through some of these slides. This isn't about condemnation. This is just about an awareness of where we live and the society that we live in. Um, Let's just go with some of these statistics. 1.2 billion people live off less than 23 cents a day. 1.2 billion people in the world. The wealthiest 1 billion people in the world have an average income of approximately $70 a day. That's $25,550 a year of income. The wealthiest billion average. 1 billion people in the world live... Uh, on less than a dollar a day, $365 a year. Who's rich? Three billion people live on less than $2.50, less than a thousand. Eighty percent of the world lives on less than $10 a day. It's less than $3,650 a year. America, Americans spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half the world does in all goods. 
One billion people cannot sign their name. That has nothing to do with age. One percent of the world own a computer. One percent of the world has a college education. How many of you have a computer? Will you just raise your hands? Look around. How many of you have a college education? Four out of five American adults have a high school graduate or have graduated high school. One out of four children worldwide go to work every day rather than to school. Does that make you sick? I hope so. 8% of the world own a car. 8% of the world own a car. One out of three American families have three cars. One billion people are without safe drinking water, yet Americans consume 26 billion liters of bottled water annually. And then I get from people, well, it's relative. You know, it's relative. It's way more expensive to live here. Yeah, it is. Um, But who are we comparing ourselves to? Who do we compare ourselves to when we don't have the nicer car? Who do we compare ourselves to when the guy next to us has three bedrooms, not two? Who, Who told us, who sold us on the idea that the dream is a white picket fence and a house with a gated community? Who sold that to us? Because that's been ingrained in my mind since I was a child. That's making it. You know, and you say, oh, maybe they live off the land. No, they don't. In 2008, more people live in cities than anywhere else. They're saying by 2025, half of the entire world will live in slums. Half of the entire world will live in city slums. This isn't about condemnation. This is about waking up. Who's rich? If you have a refrigerator, if you have a bicycle, if you have food in that refrigerator, you're the wealthiest percent of all wealth in the world. You're rich. We're rich. Some of us don't have those things and we're here. And hopefully this is freeing for you because the rest of us have been caught up in something called slavery. Right? We've bought something and we're working towards it. You know, there's a study done. That's, it, it was with someone making 25000 someone making fifty, seventy-five, and 150 And they were asked the question, how much would be enough for you to live on? And every single group said twice as much. So the guy with 25 said 50 The guy with 50 said 100 The guy with 75 said 150 The guy with 150 said 300 What does that say? It's not about an amount. It's about our hearts. And then we live as the wealthiest people in the world that say that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, but we buy all the other stuff. Is anyone else feeling the weight of this? It's not about God hates the wealthy. Man, Jesus, Jesus had wealthy friends. He was buried in a tomb. That was expensive. Why do you think they were casting lots for his garment? Because an outer robe was expensive. The church has always survived on, on wealthy individuals using their wealth for good. God, it's not an attack against wealth. It's about hearts. It's about value system. it's, it's systems. It's about what are we pursuing, the kingdom, a life that will continue on for eternity or something that eventually is not going to exist. Are you with me? And my question is, do we take Jesus seriously? Do 
we take him seriously? Because I, I, this is what I get. Go to Luke chapter 4. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus announces his ministry. And when he does, he's in, the, he's in a local synagogue. And I love this because they would pass a, a scroll and they would give it to leaders and rabbis to read out loud. And then they would teach and sit down. And Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up. In verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. His, everyone was watching him as he sat down, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why on earth would Jesus use this to define his ministry? Do you hear what he just did? He said, the guys that smell, the poor folk, the guys with the messed up teeth that don't wash themselves regularly. The ones that stand outside and annoy us with their cups of change begging for us. The guys sleeping on the cracks of our society. Guys that smell, that don't pay mortgages. They don't pay into the social security. They take our taxes and they don't give to our, retire, uh, to our society. He's come for them. And what's our message? I want comfortable chairs in my church. I want latte machine. I want a better stage. Is anyone else fed up? What happened to this provocative message that Jesus comes to the poor, to the least, to the broken, and says, you're with me? But rather we jump into our suburbans, into our cars, we go back home, we sit in our comfortable house, we sip on our tea and watch our movie, and we forget that it's for them. Sorry, I don't mean to yell. But this hurts. I don't want to be a disciple or a leader of a church that won't challenge the rest of us to say it's not about giving. It's about living now in the kingdom of God. And I'm so sick and tired. I'm, you know what? I'm so tired of our pretentious apathy, our complacency. We get to, if I just 10%, I'm good. I bought this extra meal. It's not about that. God invites you to the next place. It's not about selling everything you have. Well, maybe Jesus tells you that, but it's about opening your heart and saying, God, how do I inherit eternal life? What would you say to me, Jesus? This isn't the social justice gospel. This is the gospel. We've watered down the good news for the American dream. And we need to repent. We need to open our hearts and say what's really inside. Because Jesus is okay if we're greedy. He's okay if we're gluttons. He's okay if we're pursuing those houses, those, that image. He's pursuing those things. He's okay with that as long as we're willing to give it to him and let him have his way. It's not about condemnation. Jesus says, I've come. The kingdom of, lo- the kingdom of God belongs to those types of people. It's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let me just say this too. I really want to make sure this isn't about a universal formula. It's not that we're supposed to sell everything. That's not what he's asking. In fact, Acts chapter 2, it talks about when the believers sold their possessions. It's very clear based on sociologist studies, sociological studies, that that the church was moved when... by, by people that had extra and those that didn't have enough. And they would just say, well, I have, you don't. Let's share the burden. That's how the church grew. That's how it moved forward. 
The Jewish, the Jewish community also, also saw that God, they were obviously blessed. If they had a meal, they didn't pray God's blessing on the meal. It was already blessed because he provided it. It was all about, God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for this new garment. They had prayers for garments. They had prayers for food, for new houses, for new everything. They were just blessing people. They just blessed God for everything. But this is what I, I want to say. This guy meets Jesus on the road, falls to his knees, and Jesus, he says, what do I do? Alam Habat. Jesus says, well, for you, this is it. To Zacchaeus, another wealthy tax collector, Jesus says to Zacchaeus as he's going, walking on the road, hey, I'm coming to your house. What does that mean? It means I'm coming to offer peace. I'm coming where, where the rest of Israelites have kicked you out of the temple because he was a tax collector. He couldn't be in the temple. He couldn't offer worship. Uh, they couldn't dine with him because he was a conspirator with Rome if you were a tax collector. Uh, he wasn't considered a son of Abraham. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. It means he offers forgiveness. He offers peace. He, he extends full embrace. And Zacchaeus just responds. He's, I'm giving half of my stuff away. I'm going to pay back four times the people I cheated. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. For Zacchaeus, it, Zacchaeus, it was half his stuff. It's like God takes us on this, on this journey called spirit life of discipleship. And if, if we're here, he meets us right here and he invites us to the next level. It's not a level, he invites us to the next place. He invites us to the next place where we can, we can participate in what he's doing and what he's up to. And he tells this guy that, hey, look, unless you give, you can't really be free. Unless you give, you can't really be free. So for you, give it up and be free. I wonder what would happen. What would happen to us if we asked Jesus right now? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Think about that. Alam Habat. Lord, what would you say to me? Knowing that you're loved and you're accepted by God's by God, and it's not about works of righteousness, and it's not about condemnation of wealth. What would Jesus say to you, honestly? Uh, he would start probably with me saying, Darren, you're selfish with your time. You've got more time to give. Give it to the people that aren't as pretty, or whatever, that don't look like you. Make space to offer yourself to the people that can't give back. Because that's how I am. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like to receive back from people when I give. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe not. Maybe uh, he'd say, Darren, you know, uh, you're really quick with your temper. Got some anger issues you need to deal with. Because I don't like the way you treat my, my beautiful daughter, your wife. You need, to be a little, you need to be more gentle. You need to lay down your life for her, like I told you already. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's just picking up your Bible for the love of Jesus. <laughs> He, but he meets you wherever you are, and then he just takes you to this next place. And then he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again through eternity. We're going to grow. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be life-giving. It's not going to be boring. It's going to be amazing. He's going to form you into your full self. But it's not just those things. He's going to come after American consumerism that's about abundance. And he's going to say, how are you doing with the money I've given you? 
Because if you think 10% is it, that's an Old Testament concept. I'm after the whole thing. And so maybe some of you, man, you've been great 10%. Well, maybe God's saying 11. And if you can do 11, maybe it's 12, maybe it's 15, who knows? Maybe it's taking on missionaries. Maybe it's looking at some of these statistics. Can we go to those statistics real quick? We looked at the world, but what about our city? What about Long Beach? 2000, can you put that up so I can read it real fast? Uh, It says this, that in um, 2011, the federal poverty line for a family of four was set at $22,350. Okay? Okay. 2011, this happened. That's less than the top billion wealthy. And uh, they say also that a family of four living in America needs at least 60,000 to survive. There are less than 500,000 people in Long Beach. 20% of this city lives in poverty. 20% of our city lives below or less than 22,350 for a family of four. For an individual, it's like 10,000. Of that number... 53% of those living in poverty are single moms on our watch. Of that number of 20% living in poverty, 32% of those living in poverty are children on our watch. Children. Who's rich? I want you to do this. I want you to seriously consider right now, and you have a piece of paper. Um, We follow Jesus. We worship him with our words. We worship him with our hearts. We worship him with action. What would he say to you this morning? I want you to write it down. Don't put your name and pass it over or drop it in the give box. The whole first service did this. If you ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Ask him. What would he say? Maybe it's in your life, but I want you to think about your money. Some of you... The idea of giving is like way out there. That's, that's not even a click forward. That's like 10 clicks forward. You're, you're in such debt that for you, maybe today it's uh, financial freedom. It's a five-year journey of getting out of debt. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. Don't be slave to the debt. Don't buy stuff off that you can't afford. That's not stewardship. That's not generosity. Where are you? Maybe, maybe some of you, 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 you know, you've never given, you've never thought about that God's inviting you to participate in giving. But whatever it is, it's always moving like this, and it's not the same for everyone. I wish I could teach you guys. Oh, give 10%. That's not what I can teach. It's not biblical in the, in, in the New Testament. It's far greater than that. What is God saying to you as a spirit-filled person, and what are you going to do about it? So can you do that? I think um, to end, I think we, uh, we sit recognizing that this is not about condemnation. It's not about works of righteousness. It's about discipleship. What does it mean for you to live as a disciple of Jesus? And can we just dream for a second of what it would look like for the American church to kill the American dream? There's nothing wrong with having lots of homes. It's what you do with them. It's what you do with income. It's what you do with the extra stuff. God's not against that. In fact, I think he wants more and more millionaires and billionaires in in the church. But people that live generously, that aren't valuing those things in a way that's more than valuing the things of heaven. Are you with me? Are you with me? Would you do this? Grab your pen. 
Grab your paper. Let me just sit. We'll invite the worship team up. I just want to pray, but I want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And this is what, I'm not asking for something that you're not going to do. I'm asking without your name to say, this is what it means for me to follow Jesus today.